It's Saturday, January the 16th, and welcome to a special episode of the Dutch News Podcast with me, Gordon Darach, my regular co-host Paul Peters, and Dutch News Editor Robin Pascoe. Yesterday, Friday the 15th, Mark Rutte and his entire cabinet resigned over the Toeslagen-Affaire, which we usually call the child benefit scandal, although really it's more about the Dutch tax office. Around 26,000 parents were wrongly and relentlessly pursued by tax officials on suspicion of fraudulently claiming allowances to pay for out-of-school childcare. They had to pay back tens of thousands of euros, were given no opportunity to query or appeal the decisions, and were barred from claiming in future years. Often the mistakes were technical or marginal, such as not supplying the correct paperwork or missing a monthly top-up payment. Racism was also a factor. The overwhelming majority of the parents were dual nationals, and internal inquiries have found that tax officials secretly kept records of their nationalities in breach of privacy and anti-discrimination laws. A parliamentary committee published a damning report in December which said the parents had suffered an unprecedented injustice at the hands of tax officials and politicians who engineered the strict anti-fraud policy with no regard for the devastating consequences on the families involved. Many of them had to give up work, sell their homes and possessions or declare bankruptcy. One of those politicians, the Labour Party leader, Lodewijk Usser, resigned on Thursday morning. He was the only one with the decency to step down before we recorded the Dutch News podcast on Friday. (laughs) And later that day... Following the weekly ministerial meeting, Mark Rutte told a press conference he would submit his government's resignation to the king. We discussed the tax office scandal at length in our podcast on December the 4th, and we'll include a link to Latin and liner notes. That segment starts at around the one hour, five minute mark. Today, we're going to focus on the fallout from the cabinet's resignation, what happens next, and how it affects things like the election, and the small matter of the pandemic response. So, uh, first of all, uh, Paul, uh, what exactly did uh, Mark Rutte say yesterday? Yeah, Mark Rutte told a press conference after the Ministerial Council that the um, entire political and ministerial system had failed in this scandal over the past uh, years. But in the end, the blame falls upon the cabinet. And therefore, he said the full cabinet is taking the ultimate responsibility by resigning in its uh, entirety. Yeah, and also, uh, of course, Eric Vibus, the, the, the Minister for Economic Affairs, he stepped down separately, so, as well as a whole cabinet uh, resigning, right? Yeah, the the small difference here is that even though the entire cabinet has resigned, they will still stay on as this sort of um, uh, caretaker government. Uh, officially, it's called a... Uh, uh, they are in a demissionary state. Um, uh, and it basically means that they are... Uh, in between cabinets so they are waiting until uh, the elections and until uh, a new coalition can be formed until a new cabinet can take over uh, but Eric Wiebes because of his involvement in the scandal he was uh, responsible for the tax office in the previous cabinet uh, they felt that his um, political position can no longer be maintained and that he is uh, of, of all the members of the cabinet he is the most responsible for the scandal and therefore he has resigned by immediate effect even though he is economic affairs minister so currently in his current position he has nothing to do with 
the scandal uh, at all. I think one of the things there about yesterday's press conference wasn't really the the announcement because we were expecting that yeah. really, but it was it was Rutter's own performance. I thought he seemed a bit nervous at the beginning actually for him because he's always very confident, but at the beginning I thought he seemed slightly slightly nervous and he used the words terrible and awful a lot throughout his speech. He kept referring to this terrible scandal, this awful scandal, uh, the, the the sort of failing. So he was actually quite contrite, I thought, although he never said i'm personally responsible but he did he did sort of use a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, adjectives to describe it and it was quite emotional for him because he's very cold i think normally in his presentation but he 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 was sort of seemed quite human as well i thought in his in his the way he talked about it and the way he sort of kept on referring to the terrible wrong that had been done to these families he definitely used unusually un- emotional language for for Gritten, and uh, yeah, I, I agree with you I, th- I thought he looked quite flustered to begin with and then got into his stride i'm going to say something very cynical but was he emotional because of the scandal but or because of his because his cabinet fell <laughs> i think the latter was the thing that most hurt him i think yeah it's, uh, <laughs> i think it, yeah, yeah i think it was a big um it, it was a big step for him to have to i think he felt that uh, maybe the sense of the occasion uh, that he was actually resigning on behalf of the entire government it's not i mean so some people have said this is just a symbolic gesture because they've almost finished the end of their term anyway and what difference does it make but i think it, it is a big step to acknowledge as a government that collectively the whole cabinet has failed and you know what is a historian and i think he knows that history will now um, you know, the, the, the judgment of history will be that this the, the, this cabinet will was the one that uh, resigned over uh, yeah, over his treatment of the parents in the scandal, and that's the, the the verdict will not necessarily be kind. Absolutely, but it did take a question from reporters for him to actually refer to the kind of the racist uh, element in the whole yeah. affair, and he had to was deliberately asked about that, and then of course then he went on to say it was it's terrible if the government was guilty of racism. He didn't say that the government, but if the government. Government, which I thought was was kind of an interesting point, but he did say that the report that they're sending to the Trader Camera uh, to Parliament on Tuesday, or will have sent it now already, of course, but will be debated in in Parliament on Tuesday, contained a lot of recommendations to deal with that very specific issue, which is of course was one of the shocking thing that people were singled out for being dual nationals. Yeah, of course. I mean, racism was specifically excluded from uh, the remit of this uh, commission, and actually the the whole. Throughout this whole affair, they've tried to play down or marginalise the whole racism issue. And of course, this this committee was a parliamentary inquiry uh, committee, and it wasn't uh, authorised to actually make any, draw any conclusions. Um, But nevertheless, it did come out with some very strong statements uh, about uh, the way the tax officers behaved, the way politicians behaved. Uh, Racism, of course, was part, was, was dealt with by... Um, the prosecution service, they were asked to uh, launch a possible criminal investigation um, into whether there'd been discrimination of parents. And of course, as soon as this uh, commissioner come back with this report on Wednesday, the prosecution service then said there was no uh, grounds to bring a case. So that's all very unsatisfactory. And a lot of people yeah. raised the racism issue on Twitter yesterday and said, why did the government not, um, yeah, uh, not make that more prominent in its response? But actually it's because the institutional racism was kind of institutionally excluded from the inquiry. Yeah. Um, I think that there's going to be another inquiry now, isn't there? That they've commissioned a stat, that they've announced a stats committee which will look into the whole issue again. And I certainly know. Renske Leighton, the socialist MP, who was uh, one of the leading voices for parents uh, during the whole inquiry, has said that, should, that we need a full parliamentary inquiry that includes uh, the issue of discrimination and racism to get to the bottom of that. Yeah, no, 
Britta did say yesterday that that would come on board and that would be this special commission. So I suppose we'll, you know, there will be more, more will come out. But it was, it was pretty apparent also in the reactions from parents and from everybody else, like, uh, like the MPs that were involved yesterday, that they consider that, you know, it's not over yet, if you like. Yeah, racism and discrimination were officially aspects that were excluded from the assignment of the Tweede Kamer to the Parliamentary Inquiry Commission. Uh, the official reason was that there was already an inf- investigation uh, going on by an anti-discrimination board. Uh, and that investigation had been going on for years and it had been frustrated on many occasions, uh, mostly because uh, because of new information or new newly leaked documents. And uh, the Tweede Kamer just didn't want to frustrate that investigation even more and delayed it even more with this uh, parliamentary inquiry uh, commission so that was the official reason but still it seems very strange to to exclude it uh, from this inquiry because you know it is such a enormous aspect of the whole problem and of the whole scandal i, I have to be cynical here and say i don't think it was an accident they found a device or, or a vehicle to to, right. to to ensure that racism wasn't covered by the commission's uh, by the commission's remit i don't i don't think that was accidental at all um and but i think now that there's been you know, that the, 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 the it's got to the point where the entire cabinet's resigned. There's going to be more inquiries. I think the next inquiry will have to tackle the the, the issue of, of racism. It's unavoidable. Um, and whether there was institutional racism by the tax service, um, and, and of course by the by, um, by the political masters as well. Um, so, what, what, what was the reaction of uh, of the parents, uh, Robin? What what what, what, uh, what did they say afterwards? Well, we, we've actually spoken to a few of them, um, and they were happy of course that there had been was some kind of recognition of the wrong that had been done to them but uh, let's take uh, take one of them uh, Roger Derricks a chef from Hofdorp who told us that Ritter has to take responsibility for the cabinet not for his actions and it's up for the people up to the people to vote against him on March the 17th uh, we spoke to a woman from Lelystad who was forced to pay back 92,000 euros for childcare for her three children she said uh, she's happy the cabinet has resigned. It's justice and it's right they've done so. But the next step is for Rutter to step down and not stand for election. And the fact that he's not doing that is a slap in the face for the parents, she said. And then there was Wendy from Amsterdam who lost her childcare business because she was wrongly labelled as being a fraudster and a front woman, basically, for the scandal that wasn't a scandal. And she had to pay back €60,000. And uh, she said the collective resignations actually achieved nothing. It's just for show, she told us. I think it's appalling and unbelievable. They chase you for years and they say you're a fraudster. But if you work at the government, you just resign. They've broken people and destroyed their lives and they need to set that right. And I think that sets the scene really for the fact that Ruta also said that the priority now is to start paying out the money because these people haven't been compensated for their lost money yet, even though we're years down the line. And that's a, a big part of the scandal as well. Yeah, they were promised 30,000 euros and uh, now being told that they'll, they'll see the money in May. Um, and yeah, it just seems to be dragging on. It's terrible. Yeah, this is a curious point about Rutter. I think I want to come back to actually because he, he has stepped, uh, he has resigned as prime minister in, in, in a collective resignation with the whole cabinet, and yet he will still be leader of the uh, the, the right wing Liberal Faith Day Party at the election. And of course, there's the, they are still the leading party in the polls. So there's every chance he'll be re-elected. How does that work? I mean, I think a lot of people were were a bit um, puzzled by that. Uh, Paul, can you explain? 
Well, if Mark Rutte can stay on as the VVD leader, it's a question that has to be answered by the members of the VVD party, which is, you know, after all, a democratic party. Uh, but there's absolutely no sign whatsoever that the members of the VVD have lost faith in Mark Rutte, and they still have confidence in him that he can win the elections. And the next question is, can he stay on as prime minister? And that has to be answered by the Dutch electorate. Uh, do they trust him enough uh, to lead a fourth cabinet, despite the scandal and despite the the fact that he and his cabinet has resigned over this, but well, we will hear their answer uh, shortly in only two months uh, after the elections. All the polls suggest, though, that uh, most people in the country still have confidence in him, and that means that he will probably become uh, the biggest party again after the elections. Um, that probably has to do with the coronavirus, uh, I think. Uh, his approval ratings are very high and uh, people still uh, have a lot of trust in him that he can lead this country through this, uh, through this pandemic, uh, which is a much more pressing issue uh, than this scandal for, for, for most of the country. I think the point is, and Ritter made it very clear at the press conference on Friday when he said that it's up to the people on March the 17th whether I'm still the Prime Minister. And of course, if the Veve Day does very badly, he will have to resign as party leader anyway. But uh, I, I'm not sure what the impact of this is going to be on, on, the, on the party and on the polls. As Paul says, we have to wait and see. But there's a sort of feeling that, that people are more concerned about coronavirus. They want the government to tackle that first of all. And Rutter did say at his press conference that was his second priority, uh, was, you know, first of all, to sort out the problems for the families and secondly, to continue to tackle coronavirus. And he also said that he expected Parliament would be behind him on this. Now, I think there's a debate on Tuesday, isn't there, Paul? Uh, I believe it was Wednesday, yeah, on the, uh, on the, on the Parliamentary Inquiry report. I think it still goes. Yeah, it's, I think they they will continue with it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, there's yes. still be a debate. Uh, I believe it's still scheduled because the only thing is that Eric Weber's uh, will now not be um, appearing as a minister because he's resigned independently from the cabinet. But the others will uh, will still be there. Yeah. Because the only thing is that now they can't have a vote of no confidence in the government because the government has already lost the confidence uh, by by resigning. It is kind of lost. It's had a vote of no confidence in itself. So that's one one tool that's been removed. And it does mean that we can, you know, campaigning for the general election can start now, basically, because we have a we have a caretaker government two months, uh, one month early, one month ahead of the uh, actual deadline when when campaigning would have started. So in that sense, you've got two big issues solving the family's problems continuing to deal with coronavirus and Rutter's convinced he's got parliamentary support to do that then, uh, you know, you've got an election campaign. So in, in a sense, the cabinet's resigned. We have a caretaker cabinet, but what the man in the street's going to see about what the government's up to isn't really going to change very much, is it? No, I don't think so too. It, it's strange. I, I can't understand. When I, I, I asked myself the question, um, Mark Rutte resigned over this enormous scandal. Uh, he The government um, financially ruined thousands of people and still he has the confidence of the people. And I can't understand, I ask myself the question, but I can't explain it why that is still the case. Is it only coronavirus? I don't know. 
It just doesn't seem to really play with the voters in the actual opinion polls. I mean, th- no, th- but why of- not? I mean, it is the government that is that is r- ruining thousands of people. Why don't they care? I don't know, but it, it is it's certainly the, the opinion polls suggest they haven't shifted. I mean, the the, the, the uh, you, I mean, you, you look at Renska Leighton of the Socialist Party. I made this point on Friday that uh, she's been very much in the spotlight on this issue and campaigned very loudly yeah. for the families, and yet the SP have uh, picked up, made absolutely no gains in the polls as a result of that. I think it's just not an issue for the average uh, for the average voter average dutch voter um yeah, yeah, only for the families as well and then i wanted to ask you as well how did this escalate because on tuesday commentators seem to be saying and not really seeing this as a uh, particularly likely prospect so they were focusing on the coronavirus process conference and the ministerial meeting was an afterthought but then on friday suddenly uh, it was as if this was uh, this was an inevitable thing um so what happened during the week do we think well, uh, ironically, uh, it is the PvdA who brought down Mark Rutte. Mm. Um, in the previous cabinet, it was Mark Rutte who brought down the PvdA. Because uh, before, in, yeah, well, at the start of the week, there were four scenarios. One was the, 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 the cabinet will just continue until uh, the next elections uh, uh, without any resignations. The other one was to sacrifice one minister. And the person who was named most often was Erik Wiebes because of his involvement in the previous cabinet. The third option was to resign altogether, uh, but that was definitely not something that uh, that Margaret wanted to do um, or or uh, the rest of the cabinet as well um, because Margaret, as I said, is a popular leader and if one of the coalition uh, uh, parties uh, forces this resignation, then how will that uh, turn out for them electorally in the next election? And the fourth option was a uh, motion of no confidence in a debate on Wednesday. Until uh, Lodewijk Usher resigned on Thursday, this motion of no confidence was very unlikely to pass in the Tweede Kamer. Because it would be very strange for the PvdA to support this motion of, motion of no confidence while they still had a leader which was also directly involved in the scandal. But after Lodewijk Usher resigned on Thursday morning, the PvdA could all of a sudden support this motion of no confidence next Wednesday. And that would put the cabinet into a very dangerous position. The the opposition has 50% of the seats in parliament, so they only needed one more rogue uh, coalition MP that supported this motion. And there are plenty of of um, of, uh, of examples who were most likely willing to support this. So Margaret now uh, was faced with an inevitable uh, ending, and that was that he had to resign. But the question was, is he going to resign because of a motion of no confidence by Jesse Klaver? Well, that's not go- not something that Mark Rutte was going to uh, to let happen. So uh, the other was, you know, other option was um, um, just take matters in your own hands and resign uh, yourself. And that is, I think, what Mark Rutte decided to do at the end. It's like some kind of bizarre chess game, isn't it? With all these pieces yeah. moving around and how you're going to get checkmate and how you're going to win. It's extraordinary. I'm 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 amazed anybody really understands what's going on when you listen to it. You know, when you put it like that. <laughs> Yeah, and the irony is, it's a beautiful irony, actually, that, that it is Lodewijk Usher who, uh, who who did the final move and, and, and made Mark Rutte, uh, the king Mark Rutte, uh, uh, fell, I think, yeah. He may be king again, of course. He may be king again. He will probably be king again, but at least um, uh, Lodewijk Usher can uh, uh, can tap himself on the back that he, uh, he forced uh, the resignation of, uh, of, of Mark Rutte. 
Yeah, indeed. Yeah, the, yeah. The king fell, but as you say, it's quite likely that after the next election, he will still he he he's going to stay on as leader of the Fabian Day, and they will be the largest party. But I wonder how it's going to affect Rutter during the campaign, because obviously the the opposition now will line up to put, to point out to him that to, that you know, he's taken responsibility for the scandal. It happened under two of his cabinets, uh, if not three, and therefore yeah. you know, I think there will this will come back surely during the debates. The, the other leaders will now surely make this a, a, a real campaigning point to say that you know, Mr. Rutter, you know, we, we do not want you to be prime minister of the next government i mean how is that going to play out do you think uh well uh, that is definitely something that will be brought up by a lot of opposition parties but remember that we have the cda and we have uh desa sister their leaders are ministers from this cabinet and even though there aren't as directly involved as Mark Rutte, um, uh, the CDA leader, Robke Hoekstra, is the finance minister. It is under his responsibility. The, the Belastingdienst falls, the tax office falls under his responsibility. Um, so, yeah, as long as they have leaders who are also more or less uh, involved in the scandal because they were ministers, uh, they, they hold ministerial positions, uh, I don't think they have that much to... Uh, bring in into into these uh, debates. Um, I think you also have you also have to ask how much weight these debates have when people are making up their minds as well. I mean, the televised debates, yeah. you've got so many parties. It's a kind yeah. of one sec, one minute soundbite against each other. Uh, do they actually have any impact on changing the way people are going to vote? I sincerely doubt it. Yeah, well, if the uh, if, if the presenter asks uh, one of the candidates what a loaf of bread costs and this person is unable to answer this, then uh, apparently that has effects on, on how people vote. Um, but yeah, from a, from a substantial point of view, you can always uh, skip these debates because you know n- n- nothing new uh, will be said, and it's only uh, only yelling and screaming at each other. And uh, yeah, the, the the televised debates are always very very annoying. Last thing I guess to recover, Robin, is that we have um, now this caretaker government, uh, which will not just be till the election, but also after the election. So how exactly does that work, especially as they have to still tackle this uh, slight problem of uh, the coronavirus pandemic? Well idea of a, of a caretaker cabinet is that they discuss with the upper and the lower houses of parliament what are considered controversial issues and those are issues that they avoid so you won't see anything any great new policy initiatives coming through for the next few weeks the next few months probably uh, um, but coronavirus is of course the big issue we've got the idea of the curfew for example which we know is being sold to us whether it actually is on the cards it's still very unclear so there are controversial aspects to the whole coronavirus thing, of course. But Ritter is convinced he's got the support of Parliament when it comes to dealing with coronavirus. So we're going to see a focus on that. And then ministers just keep things ticking over behind the scenes. And then, of course, once you've got the election, you start the long, usually, uh, usually process of putting a new cabinet together. Um, I think I saw the average time is about 94 days to put a cabinet together, three months. But <laughs> yeah. the outgoing but cabinet... But when you have four coalition parties, then uh, yeah. this uh, it will take a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this coalition took 225 days or something to put together. So, something like that, yeah. So, you know, we could be with a with a, a cabinet which doesn't really do very much apart from deal with coronavirus for quite a long time. And some people might say it's quite a good thing. I'm, I'm always, I always find it extraordinary when we have a caretaker government that 
government still functions, things get done, nothing grinds to a halt. You know, no, so they, can get, they can even do major things like draw up budgets. I mean, the last caretaker government had to, you know, had to produce a September budget, and they did. Yeah. So it, 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 it's far from saying the government is powerless. It, it's very much not. And I guess in some ways, I, mean, I saw an interesting argument. Uh, you saw this as well, Robin, that, um, that, that, that possibly this might actually uh, strengthen the government's hand because they can now just focus purely on coronavirus, which is one of the issues on which they have the trust yeah. of the voters. You see it in all the opinion polls. Definitely. And, by yeah. just, and by having this very tight focus on coronavirus, it might actually uh, work to the advantage of the coalition parties, particularly Mr. Rutter, who seems to pick up most of the credit for the coronavirus yep. strategy. Yeah, that's a great point indeed. I, I don't think Mark Rutter will mind it at all that we are now focusing on, 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 on the corona pandemic. Uh, crisis because uh, you know that is why people are trusting him right now and that's why he is doing so well in the polls currently and speaking of the uh, election campaigns he is already having these campaigns in mind because after his press conference he he walked out of the cabinet office and jumped on his bike to cycle to the king to offer uh, the cabinet's resignation in person and what I noticed was that he went the wrong way oh, really? because the fastest way to, to the House Temple's palace is through the gate near the Mauritshuis Museum and he used uh. the other one the other gate which was literally in the opposite direction uh, but using that route were allowed all the photographers on the Binnenhof to to snap all these photos of him cycling away and it were these photos that we've seen throughout the media so he started his election campaign with with great photos of him in the papers not only here in the Netherlands but also in the international press as well well i think we've got it all to look forward to haven't we in the next in the next two months so it'll be two months of uh, interesting podcasts every friday and saturday if something else great happens that's all for this special edition of the Dutch News Podcast. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Paul Peters and Robin Pascoe. I'm Gordon Darroch, and we'll be back with another regular episode next week. Mm-hmm.